Member Makers brought to you by MemberSpace. MemberSpace makes it easy to run a membership business by plugging into your existing website so you can protect any page content you choose. Your members can also sign up and manage their account without ever leaving your site. Learn more and start a free trial at memberspace.com. Welcome to Member Maker, a podcast about how to build a sustainable membership business. I'm your host, Ward Sandler, the co-founder of MemberSpace. Today, I'll be chatting with Lucas Spivy, founder of Culture Hustlers, about common mistakes new membership site owners make, offering a work-study program to help build out his membership, and why a solid money-back guarantee is a great tactic to get people to take the leap and join. Hey there, Lucas. Thanks for joining me. Hey, glad to be here. Cool. So why don't you let everybody know what does your business do and who are you helping? Hey, my name is Lucas Bivey. I am the founder of Culture Hustlers, which is a creative business school made by creators for creators. We mostly work with all of the 12 cultural industries. So whether you are an author, architect, artist, actor, whether you're making jokes or jewelries, graphics or games, fine art, furniture, filmmaking, fashion, whatever it is that you do that's a creative business, we get that launched off the ground. So we do business modeling over a year-long course. And we do that through podcasts, documentary shorts, case studies, road trips, potlucks, all sorts of fun things that make learning business as fun and engaging as possible. That's cool. And so it's a year-long course. Does that mean that there's like a cohort of people who join and then they're in it for a year? Or is it like a rolling kind of a thing? Both, actually. So we have year-long cohorts and those start every four months. So there's about 25 to 30 students in each cohort. And so you follow along with them over the course of the year. Gotcha. So what do you charge for this? Tuition is $1,800 a year. And we break that down into monthly payments. We also have scholarships available as well as work study. So you can work off your tuition. And if you qualify for both, you can get a full ride. So we have had some students who have done the program for free before. Interesting. I haven't heard of like a work study concept for someone's you know membership or course or anything like that. What made you come up with that idea? Well, you know, I'm a teacher and I was dissatisfied with the way that schools were being run. So I wanted to start my own school, but there's a lot of things about schools that work really well. And one of those things is work study. So work study is available for folks who have a need, but at the same time, it's not maybe the right thing for a scholarship, but you have innate talent or ability. And so when all these people were signing up for a creative business school, I thought, these are creative people. <laughs> Why would I not put them to work helping build the school? So I have lots of examples of work study if you're interested in hearing what that is. Yeah. I mean, just real quick, I, th- I think that's incredibly clever because obviously if you're starting this yourself as a business, is it not for profit, by the way, or no? It's a for-profit, but we also do charitable giving. So we have a fiscal sponsor for any of that income. Gotcha. So, you know, as a for-profit business, you're starting it. Obviously, you're by yourself at first. Having other people who can help you with the business, who happen to be students at the same time, and you're helping them get an education, it's just it's just a really symbiotic, interesting idea. I think that's uh, very clever of you. But yeah, if you want to share some examples of some of the work study that people have actually done, that'd be great. Yeah. So a couple of things. I mean, I know who this podcast is for, <laughs> right? It's people who have membership-based platforms. So take a look at your audience. I mean. Your audience should help you build something wonderful. That could be something as simple as testimonials, or you could directly get them involved. And I looked at my audience and I was like, these are creators. 
They are people with filmmaking abilities, podcasting abilities, writing abilities, graphic abilities, illustration abilities, all these different things that they know how to do. And they learn best when their fingers are in the dirt. So I thought they're actually going to get the best education through the school if they're actually helping create it. So I put them to work. I have them create podcasts for the school, short video work. I have them help write the case studies or edit the ones that I write. I will take them on a road trip and have them record conversations with folks. I also, one of the best work studies is I'll give you half off your tuition if you host a party at your house every month and watch the podcast and docu-shorts with other people. And that's probably the, the funnest one, which is basically break bread with other people and get half off your tuition. Yeah, no, I think that's really smart. What percentage of your students would you say participate in the work study in some form or another? Well, this year, the vast majority of them, I would say this year, probably about 75% of them, like three out of the four are doing some amount, maybe not the full work study package, but they're doing some amount. And that's because we're building the school right now. So if anybody listening is a creative person and actually wants to help build a creative business school, this first year is really the time to get in because I'm really offering a lot more work study this year. Awesome. So what did you do? Like, what were some tactics that have worked for you in terms of building this initial audience to launch the school? And, and what hasn't really worked? Yeah, good question. First of all, you got to know who you're helping. Like, if you can't answer that question, sit the hell down and figure it out. Do not proceed until you know who your audience is, who benefits absolutely the most from what you're doing. So for me, I segmented my audience and I was like, look, this program is for people who need a practical business education. So I knew that I wasn't going to put it out somewhere where people wanted conceptual or theoretical business education. This needed to be like hands in the dirt, get it done kind of stuff. So where do those people lurk? Well, they're out there right now. They're following me on Instagram. They're following the podcast. They're getting involved. So I reached out to every single person who had ever followed me on Instagram, every single one of them. And I, I pasted the same message, which was like, hey, have you heard about the school? And that's it. And so they wrote back and then I kept the conversation going from there. I also have an email list of about 4,000. And so I send out to that as well. And I think the other tactic that really worked in reaching folks is I took a look around and I was like, who are my advocates? So maybe I can't directly reach every person that would be a member of this, but maybe I can reach kind of the gatekeepers or the distributors or the advocates or influencers for those folks. And for me, that was people that I had interviewed in the podcast. There were people that I had met on my tours around the country. They were schools that had, you know, been clients of mine. And I just reached out to them. I said, hey, you know, any help that you can give me in, in spreading the word about this would be awesome. And I think someone gave me a piece of advice when I did that, which was share the excitement. Don't try to sell them on something. Just share how excited you are to be doing this. Yeah, I love that. So when you were starting in the very, very beginning, right, what was the first thing you did? Was it start an Instagram account? Was it start the podcast? Was it start the email list? Walk me through that. No, <laughs> I'm going to give you a piece of bad advice, but uh, it's the truth, which is I didn't know what I was doing whatsoever when I started. I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to know what was the real deal when you're a small, independent, creative business. I was like, how did you do that? So I built out 
a camper trailer as a mobile office, and I drove 15,000 miles across 37 states in three months. And I just, I met with, with hundreds of people who had a business, whether it was small or big, and I just talked to them. And of those hundreds of conversations, I think I pushed record four times. And the recordings were so bad that I really can't use them in a podcast because the quality was so poor. And so I came back from this trip with no documentation whatsoever, no photos, no videos. And I really wish I would have. But today, when I travel around the US, I record everything. I document everything through photo, video, drone, word on the street, long form podcast interviews. Now I know to capture everything. But in the beginning, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. So it sounds like you figured out a way to sort of repurpose and or recycle everything you're doing to be used multiple times. You should. I mean, for Culture Hustlers is probably best described as an educational media company in that the, the idea is, you know, when you're a media company, you need to create a story and release it in as many different formats and channels as possible to amplify your reach. So that is how a media company works. You may not be a media company, those of you listening. But basically, when you do something, if you do one activity, what are all the different benefits you can get from that? So using all parts of the buffalo. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what would you say is the number one most effective strategy that people can, can learn from you about memberships specifically? I'm going to share this with you, and most people are going to scoff when they hear it. My number one strategy is I offer a 100% satisfaction money back guarantee. I do not want your money unless you have been transformed by the service rendered to you for that money. And this may not be something that other people are willing to offer or even could offer. But I took a look around at the business schools that were out there and I looked at, I did an MBA, right? And I know how much money that costs. That's in a lot of places, a hundred thousand dollar degree and it takes two years of your life and i thought how could you possibly take two years of someone's life and a hundred thousand dollars and not promise them some amount of a brighter future of like real change to me it was unethical and at the time i was reading this book called how to get everything you can out of all you got and i forget the author's name but in the very beginning he said i want you to consider making a guarantee to those that you serve, to your clients. And if you can't guarantee the people that you help 100% satisfaction, you need to ask yourself why. So all these schools around the US were not promising anything. And I thought, well, if I can promise them something, I've just differentiated myself from literally everyone. It meant that I had to build something that was really foolproof. And I'm glad I said that. I'm glad I set myself the task on that by offering a hundred percent guarantee. It required me to build it in a dummy proof way. Yeah. We've experimented with that in the past when we used to do more consulting work, we would do a hundred percent money back guarantee. I think maybe one or two people ever asked for it. So it's one of those things that you know, if you do a good job, it's, it's just not going to happen. So it's not a real fear, but it makes the person buying feel a lot more comfortable. Exactly. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's my quote tactic and quote. But really, it's something that I, I live by in my life is that if I'm doing something and it actually doesn't help the other person, then I need to go back to the drawing board and rebuild it. 
Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think most people would agree that just makes sense, right? And every interaction that you know everyone's personally had with businesses, good or bad, they would probably agree that, yeah, if it was a bad experience, I wish there was a way I could have gotten a discount or a money back. And sometimes we do that, right? When you're at a restaurant and a dish doesn't taste good, you ask for a discount or for them to take it off the check, right? Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to things we buy online, it's not always the case, or at least it's not it's not as normal. I'd say to to reach out to someone and say, "Hey, this part of your course was just really not helpful. I, I'd like you know a thirty percent discount or something." <laughs> like that doesn't that'd be a weird thing to ask, but it's not it's not any more unreasonable than asking for money back at a restaurant for a bad dish, right? Yeah, it's not. And to be honest, I've never had anybody ask for any amount back, you know. And I've been offering that for years. So uh, what I think is it does is it. It's saying you and I are in a trusted relationship. Like I am in your service and like I'm committed to making your life better through what I offer. And that requires so much more of me. And by requiring that of myself, I've yet to fail someone. So I'm glad that I require that for myself. Do you do any kind of vetting before people join or can anyone randomly just go to your site and sign up? <laughs> Good question. Yes, they, I'm sorry. No, they cannot just join. They are vetted. So there's an application process. So yes, I am able to weed out people that maybe the program wouldn't be the right fit for, right? It depends. There's a lot of things that go into qualification for our program. It's not, I could go into that, but it might not be so appropriate for this call, but you should vet people if you're giving 100% satisfaction guarantee because if they misuse your product or service, then you're not really at fault for that, and yet you're on the hook for it. So you might consider vetting if you're going to offer a guarantee. Yeah, I mean, that works if you're selling a, you know $800 product like yours. The problem, obviously, is if you're doing something a higher volume, right, $50 a month and maybe you have 1,000 members or something like that, it's going to be kind of impractical to vet everybody, but at least at least in a manual way. But there might be ways to get around that by having people enter in specific information when they sign up. So you could like then manually approve people yeah. before they sign up just to kind of be like, hey, do they answer these questions in a way that will be a good fit? There, there's ways around it. I think at the end of the day, you're just saying the customer shouldn't carry all the risk. You know, a lot of times when you buy something, you're like, I don't know if it'll work, you know? I think that's okay, but I think that if you can lower the barrier in their mind to getting involved, then that's good. And like you said, you had like maybe two people over all those years of a guarantee. That was so worth the, who knows, tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands who got involved because of that promise in the beginning. You know, there's, there's a cost to giving a guarantee, but look at the benefit, you know, does it outweigh the cost? Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. So what experience did you have, you know, in terms of actually building a business? Because you're building a school or you have a school that helps people learn how to run a, a business, right? Yep. But what experience did you have with starting a business that made you qualified to teach that, I guess, is what I'm asking. Good question. Boy, I've had a few. You know what my first business was? It was called Shirtless Window Washer. <laughs> wow. And... It is exactly what it sounds like. I was a window cleaner in Seattle, and I would do that job without my shirt on, mostly because I it was too hot in the summer, uh, <laughs> but it became a good marketing tool. My second business that I had was an art gallery that I ran for four years, and that was where I was working with these young or emerging or early career artists and creators, 
And I was, I wanted to give them an opportunity to exhibit their work and talk to the public. And what I really discovered the need was, is that literally none of them really knew how to talk about themselves. And they didn't really know how to explain their work or document their work or put their work up on a website or, or even just like the ins and outs of what is a very opaque industry in the art world. And I thought, okay, my calling here is not to have a gallery. My calling is to professionalize these folks. And I can't do that from a brick and mortar space and reach all the people that I want to. So that's why I hit the road and why I built something virtual online is I wanted to be able to help as many creative people as possible professionalize themselves. That's great. So what resources would you recommend to people listening? And by resources, I mean, you know, books, podcasts, any courses, things like that. Well, obviously my own, uh, <laughs> but I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts. I watch a lot of documentary series. I really believe in story-based learning. So I recommend podcasts and videos that tell a true story. You know, I, I can recommend a lot of things on YouTube as far as technical knowledge, but all you have to do is just Google what you want to learn. But I think the critical thing that we need is we need to hear a true story of how someone encountered a business obstacle and innovated their way around it. So every month we listen to podcasts that are Culture Hustlers podcasts, but then we also watch a documentary together. So for example, last month we watched a documentary on Bethany Yellowtail, who's a Native American fashion designer. And you see firsthand how she encounters all these problems of having a startup in a cultural industry and how she overcomes them or doesn't, but she figures her way through it. And this month we're watching the documentary Iverson on Alan Iverson of the Philadelphia 76ers. Of course, Ward interviewing me is in Philadelphia right now. And how Alan really was more than an athlete. He was a truly inspiring person who knew how to connect with fans just by just being himself just effortlessly. But then he encountered a lot of obstacles on his early on in his life, like going to prison, that seemed to be blocking him from the path that he wanted in life, but really it ended up fueling him. So we look at these different stories of people encountering obstacles and how they innovate their way around it. That's great. So how can listeners learn more about you, Lucas, and your, and your business? Well, you can go to culturehustlers.com. That's where you're going to find everything about the school. You're going to find ways to get involved. Like we have this thing called Doc Luck, uh, which is a documentary potluck every month. And that is free. You do not need to be enrolled. You can do it in any city across the U.S. So if you like eating food and watching movies, you can get involved there. Our next cohort is starting January 1st, so you'll need to uh, apply for that by December 2nd. And if you just want to follow along and learn more about this, obviously Instagram and Facebook, but check out our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And then we also put up video shorts on YouTube, and you'll find all that under Culture Hustlers. Excellent. Well, thanks for taking time to talk with us, Lucas. Yeah, it was great. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. There's a direct link in the show notes. We really appreciate it. Member Maker is brought to you by MemberSpace. MemberSpace makes it easy to run a membership business by plugging into your existing website so you can protect any page content you choose. Your members can also sign up and manage their account without ever leaving your site. Learn more and start a free trial at memberspace.com.